almost thought I had a good beep again, and it just totally... I not kept consistent it, beep. It was... Do you really think I have a consistent beep? That's about as close. Madness. That's it. All right. Then I'll record that and just put it back in as the intro. But I I can't I can't be expected to freestyle scat out a beat for you in a way that's uniform. Purpose now though. Well, yeah, it's fun now. (laughs) You just it explains the different levels of what drunk I am. It's it's a nice you know it's a nice way for the the hardcore fans to determine what time the time cycle we're on. All right. Text. 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 We have seen that the Nationalist parties copy their methods from those of the Western political parties, and also, for the most part, that they do not direct their propaganda towards the rural masses. In fact, if a reasoned analysis of colonized society had been made, it would have shown them that the native peasantry lives against a background of tradition, where the traditional structure of society has remained intact. Whereas in the industrialized countries, it is just this tradition set traditional setting which has been broken up by the progress of of industrialization. In the colonies, it is the very core of the embryonic working class that you find individualist behavior. The landless peasants who make up the lumpen proletariat leave the country districts where the vital statistics are just so many insoluble problems, rush towards the town, crowd into the tin shack settlements, and try to make their way into the ports and cities founded by colonial domination. The bulk of the country, for their part, continue to live within a rigid framework, and the extra mouths to feed have no other alternative other than to emigrate towards the centers of population. The peasant who stays put defends his tradition stubbornly and in a colonized society stands for the disciplined element whose interests lie in maintaining the social structure. It is true that this unchanging way of life, which hangs on like grim death to rigid social structures, may occasionally give birth to movements which are based on religious fanaticism or tribal wars, but in their spontaneous movements, the country as a whole remain disciplined and altruistic. Individual, the individual stands aside in favor of the community. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm, yeah, no, that's, again, that's debatable, that, and that's, that's an observation. That's pretty utopian. And that's an observation he's getting a little bit from uh, specifically Algeria. That yeah. I think, yeah. I think is, is, is uh, we talked about it in our expanded go-off at the end of last episode. Uh, he's, he's really hyper-focusing on that, and we should understand that dynamic happening in colonized countries, certainly, and certainly even in the the, the poor areas here. I I, I want people to recognize that, but we shouldn't overemphasize that. Yeah, and I think that is, uh, I think it's important to point out the shortcomings of some of the works we read. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Um, remember, we talked about, we don't read Marx because we think Marx is some gospel all-knowing, we read Marx because he's right. And so we, when, and we read Marx, are, and we take Marx when, he's, when right. he's right. Right, which is most of the time, and, and it's very important when he's right. Uh, Fanon's the same way. That doesn't mean every word he said is right. And it's important. I, I like the news. I like our trend where we're not skipping stuff anymore. We're mm. reading it. Because skipping stuff that is problematic is not uh, as helpful. <laughs> we need to acknowledge. No, I think it, before it was more like we were trying to summarize. We and that was with Marx. Yeah. yeah, we we didn't skip the Shylock stuff. But we embraced it and we moved on. But yeah. uh, but this again, when when Fanon is hyper focused on his own local conditions, we're going to point it out as much as we can so that you can recognize that that doesn't make what Fanon says wrong. It just makes it specific to his material conditions at the time. Yeah. Um, the country people are suspicious of the townsmen. 
The latter dresses like a European. He speaks the European's language, works with him, sometimes even lives in the same district. So he is considered by the peasants as a turncoat who has betrayed everything that goes to make up the national heritage. Uh, is this like a, is this an Uncle Tom situation? <laughs> is this like an Uncle Tom European situation? Uh, I'm sure. Okay. It feels that way. <laughs> it feels that way. I mean, again, it feels very much like a... Uh, you've gone over to the other side you've you've you assimilated with the with the colonizer with the with the yeah. oppressor with the whatever with the slave master yeah. whatever you want to call it um and that is obviously going to breed that there is going to be a lot of disconnect there it's going to be very hard for someone like that to embrace the mother country's culture and then try and bring that back to the peasants and explain to them why they're wrong that's it's just always going to ring hollow absolutely absolutely the townspeople are traitors and knaves who seem to get on well with the occupying powers and do their best to get along within the framework of the colonial system. This is why you often hear the country people say of town dwellers that they have no morals. Here, we are not dealing with the old antagonism between town and country. It is the antagonism which exists between the native who is excluded from the advantages of colonialism and his counterpart who manages to turn colonial exploitation to his account. What is more, the colonialists make use of this antagonism in their struggle against the nationalist parties. They mobilize the people of the mountains and the upcountry dwellers against the town folk. They pitch the hinterland against the seaboard. They rouse up tribespeople, and we need not be surprised to see Kalanji crowned King Kasai, just as it was surprising to see some years ago, the assembly of the chiefs of Ghana making Nkrumah dance to their tune. Is that the Nkrumah we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we like him, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we like so we're him. fans of Kwame Nkrumah. Yeah, yeah, we're friends of Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, I'm just making a friend. Yeah, yeah. The political parties do not manage to organize the country districts. Instead of using existing structures and giving them a nationalist or progressive character, they mean to try and destroy living tradition and the colonial framework. They believe it lies in their power to give the initial impulse to the nation, whereas in reality, the chains forged by the colonial system still weigh it down heavily. They do not go out to find the mass of the people. They do not put their theoretical knowledge to the service of the people. They only try to erect a framework around people which follows an a priori schedule. Thus, from the capital city, they will parachute organizers into the villages who are either unknown or too young and who, armed with instructions from the central authority, mean to treat the dower or village like a factory cell. The traditional chiefs are ignored, sometimes even persecuted. The makers of the future nation's history trample unconcernedly over small local disputes. That is to say, the only existing national events, whereas they thought they ought to make of village history, the history of traditional conflicts between clans and tribes, a harmonious whole, at one with the decisive action to which they call upon the people to contribute. The old men surrounded by respect in all traditional societies and usually invested with unquestionable moral authority are publicly held up to ridicule. The occupying power's local authorities do not fail to use the resentment thus engendered and keep in touch with the slightest decisions adopted by this character of authority. Police repression, well-informed because it is based on precise information, strikes. The parachuted leaders and the consequential members of the new assembly are arrested. So, I mean, this is this is, I mean, pretty clear, right? You, yeah. You're not going to walk into somewhere and be like, "Look, your your local little heroes are are 
terrible and you need to turn against them. You're, you're going to have to walk into a community and not just start speaking. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to understand it, to penetrate it, earn people's trust. And then you're going to have to give them education that's relevant to them rather than just damn their idols. This doesn't mean maybe their idols shouldn't be damned and maybe that's not necessary for revolution. It just means you're not going to walk up guns a-blazing and, 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 and buy them in. And clearly... The nationalist parties had no idea about that. They weren't connected no. to the people at all. Not even a chance. And and that's why you'll see in things like Foundations of Leninism talk about, you know, the uh, the Vanguard Party has to come from the people. It has to be supported by the people. If there's a disconnect, it's no longer a Vanguard, yep. you know. Such setbacks confirm the theoretical analysis of the nationalist parties. The disastrous experience of trying to enroll the country people as a whole reinforces their distrust and crystallizes their aggressiveness towards that section of the people. Even after the struggle for national freedom has succeeded, the same mistakes are made, and such mistakes make for the maintenance of decentralizing and autonomous tendencies. Tribalism in the colonial phase gives ways to regionalism in the national phase and finds its expression, as far as institutions are concerned, in federalism. But it may happen that the country people, in spite of the slight hold that the nationalist parties have over them, play a decisive part in either the process of the maturing of the national conscious or through the working in the action of the nationalist parties, or less frequently by substituting themselves purely and simply for the sterility of these parties. For the propaganda of nationalist parties always finds an echo in the heart of peasantry. The memory of the anti-colonial period is very much alive in the villages, where women still croon in their children's ears songs to which the warriors marched when they went out to fight the conquerors. At 12 or 13 years of age, the village children know the names of the old men who were the, in the last rising and the dreams they dream in the dowers or in the villages are not those of money or of getting through their exams like the children of the towns, but dreams of identification with some rebel or another, the story of whose heroic death still today moves them to tears. Just when the nationalist parties are trying to organize the embryonic working class in the towns, we notice certain seemingly completely inexplicable explosions in the country districts. Take, for example, the famous rebellion of 1947 in Madagascar. The colonial authorities were categorical. It was a peasant rising. In fact, we know, we now know, that as usual things were much more complicated than that. During the Second World War, the big colonial companies greatly increased their power and became the possessors of all the land that was up till then free. At the same time, there was talk of planting the island eventually with Jewish, Calibian, and West Indian refugees. Israel. And, uh, yeah, I was about to say, we, imagine <laughs> if Israel was Madagascar, guys. It was yeah. weird. Um. Another rumor was equally rife, that the whites of South Africa were soon going to invade the island with the collusion of the settlers. That one actually sounds pretty accurate based on white fucking yeah. <laughs> rule in South Africa. Thus, after the war, the candidates on the nationalist list were triumphantly elected. Immediately after, organized repression began of the cells of the Mo Mouvement Democrate de la Renovation Malagache, Democratic Movement for Madagascan Restoration. Colonialism and other, in order to reach its ends, used the usual traditional methods. Frequent arrests, race and propaganda between tribes, and the creation of a party out of the unorganized elements of the lumpen proletariat. This party, with the name of the Disinherited Madagascans, gave the colonial authorities, by its distinctly provocative actions, the legal excuse to maintain order. 
It happened that this very frequent operation of liquidating a party, which has been set up in advance, took on, in this context, gigantic proportions. The rural masses on the defensive for the last three or four years suddenly felt themselves in deadly peril and decided to oppose colonialist forces savagely. Armed with spears, or more often simply with sticks and stones, the people flung themselves into the general revolt for national liberty. We know the end of the story. Hey, Nathan, how does the CIA work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. A little bit. Such armed rebellions only represent one of the means used by the country dwellers to join in the national struggle. Sometimes when the Nationalist Party in the towns is tracked down by the police repression, peasants carry on the tradition of urban agitation. News of the repression comes to the country districts in a grossly exaggerated form. The tale runs that the leaders are arrested, that machine gunning is rife, that the town is running red with blood of the black people, and that all the small settlers are bathing in Arab blood. Thereupon, the accumulated exacerbated hate explodes. The neighboring police barracks is captured. The policemen are hacked to pieces. The local schoolmaster is murdered. The doctor only gets away with his life because he was not at home, etc. Pacifying forces are hurried to the spot, and the Air Force bombards it. Then the banner of revolt is unfurled. The old warrior-like traditions spring up again. The women cheer. The men organize and take up positions in the mountains. And guerrilla war begins. The peasantry spontaneously gives concrete form to the general insecurity. And colonialism takes fright and either continues the war or negotiates. What is the reaction of the nationalist parties to this eruption of the peasant masses into the national struggle? We have seen that the majority of nationalist parties have not written into their propaganda the necessity for armed intervention. They do not oppose the continuing of the rebellion, but they content themselves with leaving it to the spontaneous action of the country people. As a whole, they treat this new element as a sort of manna fallen from heaven and pray to goodness that it goes on, that it'll go on falling. I got caught up on manna there. Uh, because they spell it differently than Magic the Gathering does, and that <laughs> threw me off. Um, so I, I apologize for being being tripped up there, Fanon. You win. Uh, they make the most of the mana, but do not attempt to organize the rebellion. They do not send letters into the countryside to educate the people politically or to increase their awareness or put the struggle onto a higher level. All they do is to hope that carried onward by its own momentum, the action of the people will not come to a standstill. There is no contamination of the rural movement by the urban movement. Each develops according to its own dialectic. Hey! Yeah. We got the thing again with the stuff. Yeah, with the stuff of the thing. Uh, you notice Fanon is not a big fan of this disconnect. No! They're not catching that. No! Yeah. The Nationalist parties do not attempt to give definite orders to the country people, although the latter are perfectly ready to listen to them. They, off, they offer them no objective. They simply hope that the new movement will go on indefinitely and that the bombardments will not put an end to it. Thus, we see that even when such occasion offers, the Nationalist parties make no use of all the opportunity which is offered to them to integrate the people of the countryside, to educate them politically, and to raise the level of their struggle. The old attitude of mistrust toward the countryside is criminally evident. The political leaders go underground in the towns, give the impression to the colonialists that they have no connection with the rebels, or seek refuge abroad. It very seldom happens that they join the people in the hills, 
In Kenya, for example, during the Mau Mau Rebellion, not a single well-known nationalist declared his affiliation with the movement or even tried to defend the men involved in it. I think Hem Fred refers to that during the uh, uh, four-minute video that makes me happy every day. Oh, really? Life. Yeah, the Mau Mau? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Mau Mau, Papa Doc, he, 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 he's... Fred knew what he was talking about. Cool, cool. Uh, the different strata of the na- nation never have it out with each other to any advantage. There is no settling of accounts between them. Thus, when independence is achieved after the repression practice on the country people, after the entente between colonialism and the nationalist parties, it is no wonder that you find this incomprehension at an e- to an even greater degree. The country dwellers are slow to take up the structural reforms proposed by the government and equally slow in following their social forms, even though they may be very progressive if viewed objectively, precisely because the people now at the head of the affairs did not explain to the people as a whole during the colonial period what were the aims of the party, the national trends, or the problems of international politics. Educate, educate, educate. Yeah, I mean, there's a very clear message from from Fernand, like, hey, spontaneity, it may be cool that it can dwell up and be be seized for revolution, but um, you gotta educate and you gotta actually seize it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you believe in radical solidarity or whatever, all of us agree that if everyone's not on the same page, we don't all know what the end goal is and what the reasons are and the root causes, this is going to fail. Yeah. You're not just going to spontaneously get people to understand Marxism intrinsically. Yeah, and this is something, I mean, very clear, right? Again, applying it back to our times and, and looking at the, the wider and wealthier and, and more suburban areas versus, you know, urban and, and even rural poor masses, uh, the urban or rural poor masses are, are more likely to have these spontaneous uprisings. And then what's going to happen? You have no trust built in anybody. And then even if they look they look to you and they say, hey, educated person, hey, person out there, you know, educating in Marxism, knowing the theory, dude, help us. What do we do? And you just go, yeah, I mean, they got that. That's cool. What the fuck is that going to do? Get your ass in there. Yeah. Support them. Stand stand by them, you know, guns in hand. Stand in front of them, in between them and, and police, you know, shooting tear gas at them. Just, just get in the fight and make sure that you're engaging and educate them beforehand, as is clearly shown here, and in integrating and listening and understanding and tying that into political education. Yeah. Uh, but also make sure you're educating them in the moment, too. Yeah. Don't let it just die and hope the spontaneity takes over yeah no it 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 goes it's the same it's our fun punching bag you know nowadays but it's i I, occupy yeah occupy had a lot of well-meaning people who all recognized what the problem was and where they lived and what their address was and and where we should go to uh to protest their various forms of bullshit and yet because yeah, we were so divided and didn't understand what each other were talking about and didn't and 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 didn't have anyone that was able to kind of push us hey take the take that moment by the horns and go we're doing this yeah and it's and we're doing this for this reason and here's where it is um it, it we lost that momentum and it became a uh, a joke point for the daily show and all this other shit instead of the the moment of revolution that it could have been yeah i mean look look at the two things that that Fanon's talking about here that that happened first off there wasn't enough education organization beforehand it had to rely on spontaneity yeah. and then when the spontaneity happened who was the party taking the reins who was even like not just who took the reins from building trust or, or, or tried and tried and failed because they hadn't built the trust. Who even tried to take the reins? What party tried to come out in charge of Occupy? 
Nobody. Nobody. Not a damn Nothing. soul. Yeah. It was. I think someone had referenced it the other day as something to the effect of the anarchists were all really good at getting us there. They got everyone organized and got everyone like to the end, to the the the, the move the 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 centers where we were occupying and the tent. Mm-hmm. And then there was this big question of then what? Yeah. And and and, and no the problem is it. is no one was there to answer that. Nobody. Um. And that I think is where you see this. Almost dialectic between our the anarchist and the Marxist Leninist. This the, we are we are two parts of the same equation. The anarchists yeah. are anarchists as I have encountered them in the wild, at least. Great organizers, great uh, pr- great praxis, able to walk out there and 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 do the things that need to be done. And then every now and again, kind of the, the, in the moment, they are like the, like when crisis happens, they are the ones I want around because it's like they always seem to know like all right, we're going here, here, and this guy's going to take care of this, and this guy's going to take care of this. But then there's this gap yeah. where it's like all the air gets sucked out of the room, and it's like okay, what do we fill that with? The mistrust which country dwellers and those still living within the feudal system feel toward nationalist parties during the colonial period is followed by a similarly strong hostility during the national period. The colonial secret services, which were not disbanded after independence, kept up the discontentment and still managed to make serious difficulties for the young government. All in all, the government is only being made to pay for its laziness during the period of liberation and its unfailing mistrust of the country people. The nation may well have a reasonable, even progressive head to it. Its body will remain weak, stubborn, and non-cooperative. A lot more of that fuck-the-peasants bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I know, but just... Remember, he's just very big on it. He's Yeah, not great. But just remember the, the, the overarching point that you can draw from that is that they have... It has to be in touch with the people. Yes. If you're not in touch with the people, how the hell are you any different? Mass line. Yeah. I, I, I a word that neither mass. of us, I, both I of us know, acknowledge yeah. we don't know enough about yeah, to be able to talk I, about I, effectively. Gotta, yeah. Maoist. Like, I haven't read any Mao. But Maoist, I don't, come I don't on. Mass line come on, Maoist. Get, right. on our, get in our DMs. Let's the, party. The temptation. The temptation. The temptation, therefore, will be to break up this body by centralizing the administration and surrounding the people by a firm administrative framework. That sounds authoritarian. (laughs) This is one of the reasons why you often hear it said in underdeveloped countries a small dose of dictatorship is needed. That sounds real authoritarian. That sounds super authoritarian. The men at the head of the things distrust the people of the countryside. Moreover, this distrust takes on serious proportions. This is the case, for example, of certain governments which long after national independence is declared, continue to consider the interior of the country as a non-pacified area where the chief of state or his ministers only go when the national army is carrying out maneuvers there. For all practical purposes, the interior ranks with the unknown. Paradoxically, the national government and its dealings with the country people as a whole is reminiscent of certain features of the former colonial power. We don't quite know how the mass of these people will react is the cry, and the young ruling class does not hesitate to assert they need the thick end of a stick in of this country is to get out of the Middle Ages. But as we've seen... Uh, the offhand way with which the political parties treated the rural population during the colonial phase could only prejudice national unity at the very moment when the young nation needs to get off to a good start. So, I mean, again, you know, don't the, the mistrust is a big, 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 big problem that finances. And we can see where that would be a problem here, right? You know, I mean, who does this land belong to? Who does this land belong to? Indigenous. Indigenous people. You go have a revolution. 
and you're you don't have your your power handed to the indigenous people. You're worried about what will they do? What will they think? Will they be socialist enough? Will they do it the way we want? Is that a revolution? No. And is that a revolution that's going to last? No. Absolutely not. Here's how I hear that. And uh, I not to say that your version of it is is incorrect. I think that's very correct. But here's how I hear that when it comes off my... Sure. Like, as it's read Critique, to me. Critique it. Critical support. I hear that as, let's say Chapo wins. Oh, God. Yeah. Imagine Amberly Frost and the gang are in charge of the revolution. We've heard how they talk about yeah. us, yeah. you and me, because we, we constitute the flyover states. Yeah. So we are seen as less thans and all of that to, to that. Sure. Let's say that group is who takes over. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah, you're lumpen proletariat your I would ju- I would become the lumpen proletariat at that point because I would identify far more with my brothers and sisters out here in the middle of America and and the struggles we have than I would with anyone in whatever ruling party even if they have the right ideology even if they have the right underpinnings I'm not going to agree with them or want to go along with whatever they're saying because I know intrinsically they think of me as a less than and that's not very helpful for me getting on board with their revolution. Yeah. I Let me say this. This chapter right. is about the issues of relying on spontaneity and not organizing uniformly with the the peasant masses and the rural masses. Okay? It's, a, it's, it's the problem with that. And so when I hear this – and this is going to sound weird out of my mouth because I, I call out so much – so much neutral on a moving train bullshit. I call that out constantly. Mm-hmm. And I really hate the idea. Like, look, man, look, look. You know, we're we're just calling balls and strikes here. It's not an ideology. We're just we're just calling balls and strikes, okay? That said, okay, there is an ideology to this. The overarching point is this the sieve is the problem, okay? And the solution can't be like, you know, oh, all the peasants collectively need to trust the townspeople and just give in. It's gotta be that the townspeople reach out better. That's the only solution. That said, you are kind of you have to imply that solution yourself and and to a degree to get that point home Fanon really is kind of calling balls and strikes here he's just describing the break yeah i i don't know it feels like Fanon, i as someone that has my entire life lived in whether or not i associate or or have lived in the middle or upper middle whatever fucking class you want to call it petty bourgeois at best yeah. Um, I still resent the implication that for some reason the fact that I live in a more centralized location in this country makes me inherently less than yeah. someone who lives further west or further east of sure. Um, and so I can see that argument that they are not 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 speaking that, that well they mean they just the, the the dumb idiots in the middle just need us to spank them in line a little bit and then we'll teach them what's I understand that that reticence of authority of no I don't want to be told by Chapo Trap House that I'm doing my version of socialism wrong um and therefore I need to uh, you know fall in line no I would absolutely resent that yeah. and so I can see where that stems from and where that comes from I just think that any actual, any party that organizes itself on social, on on Marxist Leninist yeah, 
ideology is not going to do that by its own nature, by its very definition, by its very nature. Yeah, but I mean, this is again, you know, and this is something Fanon's saying is 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 <laughs> you can think of yourself as Marxist Leninist, but you have to make sure you are doing that. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is what we talked about. Where like, I I think even maybe you know Stalin was uh, through Stalin and even Lenin was a little naive. They they were right that that the state will wither away. But it's not going to do it on its own. Just no. like people think colla- capitalism is collapsed on its own. <laughs> you have to do the withering. You yeah. have to grab it and drag it along. You know, yeah. Marxist Leninism is not going to resolve all the prejudice and bigotry on its own. Every every arena that that those prejudices and those bigotries exist, you have to have the socialist revolution to even begin towards the solution. And every one of those material conditions are radically improved just by the socialist revolution existing. But if that socialist revolution happens, it's not going to just auto-solve all these problems. You you still need to actively we're, solve those. We're back to base and superstructure. We're back to yeah. the social... When you speak... when You you fix the base. The base is the socialist revolution. The socialist revolution is your, is your solution to the base. Yeah, you can't Everything, fix the superstructure without that, but you have to still have... Actually, fix the superstructure. It's not like snap your fingers and bam. Past superstructure carries over, and the superstructure. And the, past base carries over. Ca- yeah, well, because it created the past superstructure. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, those things still exist. It's like we talk about, you know, race. Race is a social construct, right? But that doesn't mean you can go, oh, it's made up by by man. I don't care about race, and then bam, racism solved. You have to reckon with the realities of race. Yeah. You know, you have to turn over a new base before you can even remotely solve any of these problems. But you also have to reckon the reality of the past bases and the superstructures that arose out of them created these problems and these problems still exist and still need resolution. And so I, I think we really need to use this chapter to heed Fanon to say, you know, are we getting to these peoples? Are are we getting to to, to peasant and lump and proletariat masses? Are we getting to indigenous people and, and black communities and, and urban areas and rural areas? And are we getting all these places? Because if we're just disconnected from people and saying, you know, we don't trust them and those people aren't actually bourgeois we can't be a vanguard exactly if our if our message does not speak our message cannot just speak in brooklyn and it can't just speak in franklin county it has to be a message that is at the very least universe the the base level of it is universal to everyone Mm -hmm. that i can talk about it the exact same way in 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 anyone who's not bourgeoisie i don't want to do like no 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 no. everybody no 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 but But, locale wise ethnicity wise it's if you recognize this as a based on class it shouldn't matter matter where you live. Yeah. Class in Brooklyn should be the same as the class in Franklin County should be the same as class in Florida should be the same as class in San Francisco. If my class message doesn't work outside the five boroughs, my class message may be fucked is my message. And if my class message works out here in the country, but it does not work when I get into an area with a hundred, you know, 200 million people jammed in on top of each other, then maybe I've got to look at my message, but, but it cannot just be one side talking to the other from a place on high and pretending that their particular class conditions are the quote, you know, capital C class condition, you know, some ontological argument from on high. It just doesn't work. It's never going to work that way. You're going to breed resentment among the people you should be building solidarity with. Yeah, and and, and to build on that, you know, just like, you know, Brooklyn versus San Francisco versus here, it, it should work universally there, but not universally because we pretend they're all the same or or we find the lowest common denominator, no. but because we're incorporating all of those differences and engaging with all of them actively and, and more importantly, 
importantly, not just, you know, regionally included, but also ethnicities, also different class strata in the proletariat and lump of proletariat. Exactly. We have to have our fingers on all of it. And someone, I think someone actually directed this directly at us. Um, and it was really, it, yeah, it was interesting. Um, uh, the, the concept of, I think we've probably mentioned on the show before, you know, it's sort of an almost tongue-in-cheek gesture to China. You know, we don't want we want socialism with American characteristics. Mm. You know, because that's the goal. That's what you want. The but same, you don't actually want socialism with American characteristics because American characteristics are bad. They're horrible. They're awful. Yeah. But look at it. Look at it in China. Think about how large, how diverse, how wide, how large. Four different ethnicities. In insane China? amounts of diversity of people, of culture, of religion, of of class, mm-hmm. and then try and come up with a unifying look ideology. The, the difference between rural and and urban there, and and, and you've heard from people. And, I've I've only talked to a couple people that have actively act a couple different times, more than one time on a mission trip or some bullshit, been to China, engaged in Chinese culture, and they talk about, oh my god, yeah, like Shanghai is the shit, and then everything else is just like peasant, like like farmland. It's just like the rural countryside that you imagine every bit of middle America to be, but just even bigger. It's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of how every fucking place is in the world. There is no place. It's just like New York City. I thought New York City. Yeah, New York City. but it's so exaggerated in China. It's so exaggerated in China. And and that's why when uh, the concept that there's going to be, that, that, that President Xi is going to stand up there and say, oh, we have this one message and it's going to apply to every single person in China universally regardless. Of course it's not. Yeah. This is going to have to be Hyper localized and high, and this is where it yeah, goes- you need one overarching tie together that matters to everyone. Yep, and then you need all of the branches coming off that tree. And if all the branches can't come off that tree, it's the wrong tree. And that's where again, our 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 anarchist comrades are really really good. Anarchist comrades tend to be super super good, from what I've noticed, in small groups. In small local, in, in local hyper localization and that kind of thing, and and they are very good at keeping you grounded to what your movement is supposed to be. So if you, it's sort of like your boss and your boss's boss's boss. If you've worked in any sort of corporate environment, you know for a fact that you, even if you're in some petty bourgeois bullshit job. The more rungs removed from you that your boss gets, yeah. the less in touch with what the fuck the actual day-to-day on the ground oh, is. Yeah. And that's going to be true of everything. I don't President- know how many times I've, I've worked at a job and, and there's a high... Like, Have you worked a day in your fucking life, dude? And no, and, but, but more... You know, here's the thing, though. And this is where it comes back. Yeah! They probably did. They probably worked many days in your particular job or a job below yours or a job above yours. It's just when you, once you've removed, every minute you're removed from those conditions and the further you get from them, the harder it is to remember what that's like mm-hmm. and to empathize with that and to be able to to correctly identify that. And that's where I see value in this concept of, yes, run yourself on a very, very... On the smallest level that you can reasonably administer large-scale stuff. Again, are you going to always need some overarching... Because, yeah, you're not building interstates on a hyper-local level. I'm sorry, Kropotkin. The European railway system is not proof of some sort of, oh, we don't even need anybody. They'll just do it on their own all together. It's fine. World War I kind of proved that hyper-localized railways. It's fucking fucking nonsense. (laughs) And that's not the point. But, again, there is value to the concept that, no, you. it's the same reason Stalin wasn't a universal... 
Joseph Stalin was not in charge of every single aspect of every single part of everyone's life in the Soviet Union. And he never saw himself as such because he knew that was insane. Yeah. You have to, again, your your message has to speak to your material conditions. And material mm-hmm. conditions are going to change radically over large spaces. And if there's one place where there's large changes, it's China. Yeah. So if you cannot empathize with the fact that they are attempting to be the only socialist bulwark against American hegemony, and they're doing it with one of the most diverse geographic and cultural populations on the face of the planet and ethnic I don't know how to I don't know how to connect this for you any better I'm guys I did it we're not I'm not fucking I don't have a picture of president G up I do have a picture of Stalin up that's not the point but it <laughs> there there is just you have to have to recognize the the, the and these that's tying it back to the text this is what Fanon is talking about. These are the challenges that actual revolutions and actual, especially socialist revolutions, are going to face. Mm. And everyone's going to have to figure those out on their own, well, in their own way, in their own conditions, in their own style. Mm-hmm. And and <laughs> joking a little bit back to like, oh, Fanon, he actually into the socialism thing, you know. <laughs> This is why Fanon's into the socialism because he tells you, you know, not doing these things crashes decolonial movements. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, they they, they got to be socialists. Uh, I do like how you talked about like the farther away they were, even if they worked that day in their life, the less familiar they are. But on top of that, I don't know how many times I've worked with someone who's like super right wing or a libertarian or something, and they love to brag about how they were poor as a kid. And first off. First off, I, I don't know how often that's true or how often that's, you know, I have a great grandparent that's one sixteenth, you know, Cherokee type shit. As someone <laughs> whose great grandmother is very I mean, Polish and I am now claiming my, my Pulaski Day heritage, I don't want to hear this denigration of my people. Thank you very much. I am an honorary Slav and I'll hear nothing against it. That's <laughs> You know, I mean, I don't know how much of this is 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 made up and how much is is true when they say they were poor as a kid. But even when they were, it's like, dude, that doesn't mean you don't you know what it's like to juggle bills. Or even if you did as a young adult, that you remember. You know, you don't know what it's like to be hungry, or you don't remember what it's like to be hungry. You just know, you know, I got mine. So so you tell yourself anyone can do it. You know. Yeah. And. And so, and it's very these... hard to recognize, especially you, you do this much better, I think, mm-hmm. when you hit it. I've done a really, I, I think I've tried to do as good a job of, of looking back on my life now through a class lens of, mm-hmm. well, what opportunities was I afforded that somebody oh, not yeah. in my class wouldn't have been afforded? What opportunities I, did I'm I have? I'm not going to pretend nepotism hasn't been favorable to me. What opportunity as a straight, cishet, white male have I had mm-hmm. that someone. Of of a non you know non binary gender or non non heteronormative you know sexual orientation would have yeah. had I and and every single time and all these people go well no 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 these are all just choices you made and these are all mm-hmm. just things you did no if you don't recognize that there are larger forces at play and you can't clearly identify where your particular version of privilege comes in mm-hmm. especially and again. This this applies well, it, only almost exclusively if you are living in the imperial core and trying to deny your own privilege. Yeah. Um, I'm not asking for fucking people in, in the third world or in the global south to fucking self-crit themselves as to their own privilege. No, no, no. This is more for, again, because you don't need our help. 
you're d- Venezuela. I've got you're doing it. You don't need to listen to us. I get you, but it's everybody else. Really, it's the people do- that needed the Sartre preference preface. Very much. This people that needed the Sartre preference. It's very much. Yeah. Um. And speaking of preferences, this is the preface to the end of page one eighteen. God damn it. I know. You thought we were going to be better, and you were wrong. I'm sorry. We were, we were noticeably better. We got we like were clipping. pages. We were clipping for a while, but every once in a while, we just hit a point, and there's... We got to talk. You put some pennies on those tracks, and we got we to gotta talk about them, man. We got to talk about them. So this has been uh, this has been part two of chapter two. I, I Imagine I, if we ever did one of these chapters in one episode. It would be a miracle. No, it would be going back to our three-hour-long episodes that nobody wants to listen to. <laughs> I've learned from that that nobody has time for that shit. I get it. I understand. I apologize. It might be a reason no one listened to Capital. It's because every episode's three and a half hours long because we're fucking masochists. Um, but this has been uh, part two of chapter two of uh, Wretched of the Earth. And uh, we will be back same Mark's time, same Mark's place next week. That being said, bye. bye.